0: Uh, something that happened when I was first in ministry, and then it occurred to me that that was 20 years ago, and then I thought, gosh, I'm old. <laughs> I know you're looking at me this morning thinking, how can that young man with that luscious full head of hair and not a hint of gray be that old? But it was 20 years ago, uh, I was involved in uh, my first full-time youth ministry, and we took a bunch of our students to a camp retreat weekend, a lot of fun, and uh, It would be one of those things that would probably tend to fade into memory. You'd forget a lot of the details, except for one thing. Over the course of the weekend, I found myself involved in a conversation with a young man that I had been very intentionally building relationship with and trying to get to know and have him get to know me. And over the course of that conversation, this young man committed his life to Christ. Now, that made so many of these memories of that weekend indelible to me. Now, I think more about that, and I realized, you know, almost every meaningful conversation I have ever had with anybody has been in the context of a relationship. There are rare exceptions, but usually all of these conversations take place when you get to know somebody. And uh, it really makes sense. I mean, when I first went to Bible college, we were taught about relationship evangelism. And then I spent time with Youth for Christ. And Youth for Christ was all about getting to know people. We would have kids come into our drop-in center. We'd get to know them. We'd get out and have coffee with them and really let them get to know us. We would get to know them before we ever thought of trying to share the gospel. Because there's an old saying that says, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And it makes sense, right? If you think about where that leaves us today as a church, um, the elders have been talking a lot about our mission and our vision, and we've been thinking about what direction we want our church to go in. And all of our mission and vision statement can be boiled down into this one pithy little statement that says, real belonging, transforming love. And what is real belonging? Well, we could spend a long time unpacking that, but it's, it's talking about belonging that isn't always easy, but it's real, it's authentic. It's about relationship. It's about being in relationship with one another. And then the second part, you know, to be able to really belong so that we can experience God's transforming love, which is about relationship. It's being able to experience that relationship with Jesus that transforms our lives. And that's the way the gospel works. It's all about relationship. So how do we get there? Like, like we, we, we do that stuff. Uh, we think about how we could possibly implement it, strategize it, make sure we're all in alignment so we're pulling in the same direction. And there's a lot more stuff that we could work out with those details. But I want to focus on this one idea of relationship because it becomes so critical we want this church to grow by people coming to know Jesus Christ as Lord and savior for the first time. That is the primary way we want this church to grow. I hope everybody here could get behind that thought. Also, we want this church, you know, to to grow maybe by people who have been away from church and are coming back. That would be another way we would see the church growing in a positive direction. But you know, in either case, so much of that is not something that we can necessarily program. And it certainly isn't something that we can rely on individuals. One person can't do it all. We can't say to a staff person, Ben, that's your job, go do it. We'll sit back and wait. Or Dave, or Brent, or the elders. You can't just delegate that task. It involves all of us being in relationship. Because that's how God has designed us. And we see this from Genesis on through. The the story that we read this morning about the Shunammite woman, mostly I picked that scripture because I wanted to hear Brian and Chris struggle with those weird Old Testament names. But normally the the, the story is a story that's told uh, primarily about faith. Uh, And and this woman, this this woman from Shunamm is never named Which is really interesting because she plays such a critical part in this story. And it's not just this story. I was surprised actually to realize that she is named in the hall of fame in Hebrews. The faith hall of fame. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 35. There's actually a reference to women who had their dead restored to them. Direct nod back to the faith of this woman. And so often if you'll hear this passage taught, you might hear it taught in the context of the faith of this woman. And I, I don't want to diminish that at all. That's huge. If I had you know, a couple of sermons to talk about it, I could, could, could go into that detail. But what I wanted to do this morning was turn this story just slightly so we looked at it from a slightly different perspective and to think about something else, the relationships that were involved here. And Elisha is a great man of God, is a prophet. And if you read this story, the one before it, the one after it, I mean, he does these incredible things. God just uses this guy in such a powerful way. And I think one of the problems that we have sometimes is that when we read stories about guys like Elisha or even his predecessor Elijah or Moses or David or any of those guys, one of the things that can happen is we can put these guys on a pedestal because of the great things that God did through them and forget that they were human beings. Forgetting that they lived and breathed and, you know, walked and talked and did all the stuff that we do. So if we were to take a look at this story from that perspective, I think it it, it just goes back to talk a lot about the importance of how God uses relationship. If you look at the very beginning of the story, Elisha is, is a prophet. He's he's going from town to town. He doesn't have, you know, a holiday in to stay at. So people uh, are charitable towards him. As a minister, I always... React favorably to people who are charitable towards those in ministry, just in case you were wondering. Um, but, the, uh, but the thing is, this woman is a woman of means. It says that she's a rich woman, and, and she invites him over for dinner. Don't miss that. Right? Invites him over for dinner. It's a relationship thing, right? You eat with people. You get to know them. But she's very, very charitable, and she decides that she should build a space for him so that he can stay over. So he's got somewhere to, to stay when he's in town. You know what a great heart this woman has. She has some resources and she uses them, in a, in a very good way. And the whole thing is is that as you eat with people and as you hang out with them in their home, you get to know them. That's the human side of this. Elisha got to know this woman in her home, hung out with her, got to know her, and you know he wanted to do something for her, and he was talking to his servant about it. And he says, "What can we do for this woman?" You know, and Elisha says, you know, maybe we could put in a good word for her with, you know, the king or the or the commander of the army. Right. Because he's got, you know, these friends that he could, you know, say something nice about. Most of us would think, hey, that's excuse me, that's really great. But uh, she says, you know what? No, I I really don't need any of that. I'm I'm well, things are taken care of for me and I don't need that stuff. But again, in the context of relationship. The servant is able to point out, you know what? She really does want something. And it's the kind of thing that you would only know if you got to know somebody. And you realized, wow, there is something here. She really, really, her heart's deepest desire, the kind of thing you only find out when you hang out with somebody, is that she would like to have a son. So Eli- Elisha talks to her about having a son. And, and her reaction to that is, is, is pretty telling, right? Is she, she just kind of, you can hear the passion, right? The emotion in, in, in her statement. Don't get my hopes up. Don't you you know? Don't tell me something like that's going to happen because I don't know if I could take the devastation of having that hope dashed against the rocks. But of course, God comes through. It's one of those miraculous moments where God delivers and this woman has a son. It's beautiful, right? Now, a period of time passes. Not sure how long, but this child obviously ages to the point where he's old enough to follow his father into the field. And he... Uh, is out with his dad one day and he complains suddenly of his head. There's, there's some serious thing has happened, right? Uh, something has gone wrong and, and this tremendous pain comes him and they carry him back to his mother and by lunchtime the child is dead. Again, I want you to think about the humanity of that. In the morning, he's out with his dad in the field. A couple hours later, he's dead. And this woman has had her hopes crushed. And some of you know exactly what that feels like because you've had your hopes crushed. You may have lost a child. You may have lost another loved person in your life. Maybe a marriage broke up. Something else that has had your hopes just crushed. And certainly, we all know people who have had their hopes crushed and what happens in this context when this woman has these hopes suddenly all torn apart I think her reaction to me seems like about one of the most natural reactions that anybody would have she wants an answer why why did this happen and she doesn't look to heaven and scream why God why No, she thinks about the man of God, the person that she's had a relationship with, the one that she knows. He knows God. I'm going to check out what he has to say. And I don't think it's a great stretch for us to imagine the potential, at least, that if we were living in close enough relationship with people that we knew them and they knew us and they knew that you were a person of God, that if something really bad happened, that they would turn to you and say, why? You go to church, you tell me why. You believe that God stuff, what the heck is going on here? How can God let this happen? It's a fairly natural question, really, isn't it? It may be part of the reason why the Apostle Paul tells us we should always be ready to give that account of our hope. Because if people know that we are God followers that we are disciples of Jesus those questions could come if they are allowed to interesting she gets ready to go she's going to saddle up the donkey and get going there's a side note to this conversation that I just don't understand that's her husband (laughs) do you guys notice that hey why are you going to see the God guy because it's not Sunday (laughs) it isn't Easter or Christmas what's up So, I mean, so often, right, that's the weird little kind of thing that you see in relationships. Sometimes people are at different places. I just thought that was strange. It's like, what are you going to church for? (laughs) It's not Sunday. Anyway, um, just a side note on that. Um, She makes her way to see Elisha. And uh, this is interesting because from a ways off, Elisha sees her coming. And as, as she approaches, he sends his servant ahead to greet her. And he, even the specific questions, is, are things well with you, your husband, your your child, right? And what does she say in response to that? Yeah, <laughs> you nailed it. <laughs> she says, it's fine. Now, I think that in the role of a servant, um, there wasn't as much relationship there. I think it would be very natural for this woman to be uh, just, you know, connecting with the master, Elisha, and the servant stands more in the background. So their relationship is not, you know, super connected and close. And the interesting thing about that is how often that happens to us, day in and day out. I bet it's happened already this morning. We come alongside of somebody and we say, Hey, how you doing? And they say, Fine. Anybody asked that question this morning? Anybody hear the answer, fine? Hmm? Yes, we're all fine. Except I'm being crippled by my depression. I'm fine, but I'm having trouble with my marriage. Right? I'm fine, but something else is going on in my life. That is far from fine. Fine. And outside of the context of a close relationship, right, on the superficial level, that's what happens. But we know everything is not fine with this woman. And what happens is when she gets close to Elisha, right, she takes off the mask and says, no, I am not fine. She is on her face saying, things are not good. My son is dead. The quintessential, why? Why is this happening? And it's the question that only comes out in this relationship. And Elisha's response is compassionate. He wants to do something to help. And I find his first move to be interesting. There could be all sorts of reasons for this. Perhaps it's because his servant is a younger man who can cover the distance quicker. So he tells him to put on his Nikes, that's a paraphrase, and get ready You know, and run with my staff to this, this child. Now, there may be all sorts of reasons, like I say, why that happens. But one of the things that made me think of is how often we're willing to try to send somebody else to do something. And, you know, in leadership, we call that delegation. And delegation has its place. I mean, when Moses was in the wilderness, you know, trying to lead the whole nation of Israel, he was standing as judge over the entire nation, and he was wearing himself out. He was literally killing himself. His father-in-law came to him and said, listen, you've got to change the way you're doing things. You just can't keep it up. So he says, you know, you need to structure things. You need groups of people. You need to put responsible individuals in charge of those people so that you're only dealing with the important stuff. And it was important for him to, you know, to be able to delegate but there's a difference between delegating and passing the buck. And in church, is one of the things I think that we can often fall kind of uh, off the rails a little bit if we're not careful, is that oftentimes we just want to pass the buck. And we'll say, oh, we've got staff to do that. Okay? So that becomes Brent's job or Ben's job or Dave's job. But there are some things that God is wiring us to do that he really means for us that we are uniquely positioned in relationship to be able to do that other people aren't meant to do. And this woman says, I will not leave without you. She is hanging with the person that she is in relationship with, right? That she is connected to. She's not going to follow the servant. She wants Elisha. Whether or not it's because she sees some special power in him, That could be part of it, but I think a lot of it is you're the person I know, you're the person I trust. I want you to be there. The servant runs ahead, does the thing with the staff. Could be symbolic in some way. In any case, of course, the child is not restored. Elisha arrives. And again, this is the thing about relationship, right? It requires proximity. You've got to be there. You can't be close without being close I'm a genius that way right you can't be close without being close it just doesn't work how close sometimes it's uncomfortably close maybe Elijah didn't want to deal with the grieving woman like come on that's no fun I mean how many times have we had to you know spend time with somebody in a situation that was really challenging is that is that enjoyable not usually. You really want to show up where death is present? Not exactly a good time. But Elisha had to be there. It's what God intended for him to do. This whole thing, it's really weird what he does, right, with, 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 the, uh, with the spreading himself out, right? And it's a little, it, it's a little awkward and strange. But, you know, it just made me think of how close do you have to be? You've got to be this close? Nose to nose? Uncomfortably close? You know what? Sometimes you do. You've got to be close when it's not comfortable if you're going to be in relationship with somebody and you're going to do what God wants you to do in that person's life. Elisha does this two times. I have no idea what that means. And then the child sneezes seven times. Do you know? Do you get the significance of that seven times? Anybody? I hear you're answering. Not perfect number? I don't think so. Uh, you know what? I, I have no idea. <laughs> There's only one thing I know about sneezing seven times. You don't sneeze seven times when you're. one of those wonderful little details the Bible goes into. The child was restored. It was amazing. It's a wonderful story. But we focus on those miracles. And we sometimes forget about how God used the relationship to perform those miracles. Do you get it? Does that make sense to you? We look at the miracles and we set the man apart and say, well, that was something special. I could never attain whatever that was. But look at how God used the relationships in order to achieve his purpose. And do you think that's changed? I promise you it hasn't. Look at Jesus. Jesus worked through relationships. Yes, he taught the multitudes. He did the sermons sometimes. But primarily he worked through 12 people. He was in close proximity with them. Jesus got to know people. I mean, sometimes he did the God thing, and he knew things about people, but it's the kind of stuff that you would get to know. And he didn't turn away from them when he got to know them. Look at the Apostle Paul. We look at all of his letters, but you realize those letters weren't written to people he didn't know. Primarily, they were written to places he had gone to. He was in relationship with these churches and people or he wanted to be in relationship. He was building relationship with them. It wasn't just these sermons that he was firing off. It's how God works. He wants us to be connected. Now, I am very simple. I like things easy, straightforward. Help me to understand it in the simplest context. So I want to give you two things that I think could help us to help us to be able to engage in relationship, to be able to be available, to be able to be used by God. Okay. First one is something I heard from a guy named Dave Overholt a little while ago that stuck with me. I think you need to give 10% more. And I don't mean money. I think that we all need to give 10% more of ourselves. 10% more of our time. And not because 10% is a magic number. It's only because it's attainable. Any one of us, I think, is in a position where we could give 10% extra. If you have, imagine, 10 hours in the week that are your own flex time, that you decide what you do with those 10 hours. Imagine to take 10%. How much does that work out to? Are you guys as bad at math as I am? <laughs> one hour. Just imagine if you were to take one hour and commit that hour to being connecting with somebody, to connecting with a neighbor or a friend, having somebody over for a meal, getting together, getting to know them. Or in your day-to-day interactions, if you were just to put in that 10% extra, the one that says, instead of me being just kind of focused on this track that I'm on and what I'm doing, we were to stop and say, hi, how are you doing today? And they say, fine, but that's a whole other issue. <laughs> but you actually got to know that person. You might meet at the gym or some other you know, interaction. Just that 10% where you were willing to open yourself up. If you say to me, no, you can't do that, I think you're lying to yourself a very wise man sitting in this congregation this morning told me, you always make time to do the things you want to do. So it's really a question of of whether we want to do it. 10%. The other thing you can do with that 10% because you're thinking, okay, that's fine, I'm having people over for barbecues, I'm hanging out, I'm trying to get to know people, but where does God enter into that? I would suggest one easy place where God can enter into your conversations with people. I would suggest that you simply season your conversations. Think of salt. Salt's a wonderful seasoning. It's very biblical too. But the thing about salt, if you add too little, you don't really taste it at all, right? And if you add too much, it's not great. (laughs) But if you add just the right amount of salt, things taste pretty good. What if you were to season your conversations the same way? What if you were to just say some things that would let people know that you were a person of God? Nothing significant. I don't expect you to walk up and say, Hi, my name is Daryl and I love Jesus. No, not like that. Please, not like that. (laughs) But maybe it works for somebody. (laughs) I don't care. Anyway. But, you know, being able to say to somebody, oh, yeah, um, if they tell you something and you could offer to pray, pray for them. Just say, oh, I'll pray about that. I can pray about that. I'm willing to pray about that for you in some really, you know, unweird way. (laughs) And I know there's this big thing with prayer right now, especially like because of what's happening with the uh, Supreme Court decision. Some of you have probably seen that in prayer in, in city council meetings is a big deal right now. But, you know, my observation has been most people don't turn down prayer. If you say to somebody, oh, I'll pray about that, most people are very willing to say thanks. I appreciate that. They'll try anything. <laughs> but it just gives you an opportunity to open a door. Right? God bless you. Just a simple little thing, seasoning a conversation. How was your weekend? Oh, it was great. We had a wonderful time at church seasoning a conversation. It doesn't have to be much more to get the ball rolling. You say, ah, well, let me tell you something. There's somebody here in our church. I'm not going to name names because I didn't get permission, but I didn't, sh- didn't know if I was going to share the story. But there's somebody in this congregation this morning who was at work, who just happened to be having a conversation with a coworker, talking about their week, mentioned some of the activities they were involved in at church as part of their week, very casual, probably no real intention there. It opened up the door. The person hadn't been to church in a long time. They started talking about church. That coworker came to visit our church. Why? Relationship, a little seasoning of the conversation wasn't even a big strategic thing. Just happened to mention what they were doing that week. Sometimes we make things complicated and they don't have to be. You could criticize me for being oversimplistic on this stuff, but I, I think that there's something to it. I think that sometimes we just have to do things. I know if... There are more challenging conversations you feel like you're not equipped to have. Well, uh, Ben's going to be offering a core class coming up shortly that's dealing with some of the more complicated issues of sharing faith in our culture. And that could be somewhere you could start if you wanted to make sure that you were ready and equipped to have some more complicated conversations. But really, is it any more more complicated than being able to just be 10% more friendly? Just to be able to relate and connect with people in relationship the way that God intended us to and just season those conversations and see what God is going to do with them.